named Brian D. Bennett. Um, and so I got to today's out, uh, outline. There are eight, eight points. You don't want me to do eight points in one sermon. In fact, I said to myself, how did this guy preach these eight points in one sermon? I've never heard his sermons. He wrote a book to this end. I've never read his book. But I saw the outline and said, you know, I can run with that. And I did. We're only going to do the first four today. I know there are eight points on your outline, but you will thank me that we're only doing four points today. So, Dean, I want to give you permission to read only through verse 17 today because that's as far as I go through point four. All right? And that way, then next week you'll need to read the whole 42 or or Gail or whoever, the whole 42 verses of that chapter to tie it all together. So, Okay. Well, I was was prepared. You know, the, the Bible is 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by I don't know how many human authors, but... I was prepared to read a significant portion of it this morning. (laughs) Anyway, um, so stand for the reading of God's word, and we will read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it was, or who it is, that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as as did also his sons? His flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give, whoever drinks the water I give him, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say 
you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I did an extra verse. That's fine, and I was going to ask you to do that. All right. So the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Well, our, our, uh, our focus last week, this week, and in coming weeks, and looks like we're going to have an added week since I'm breaking this one into two parts, is go be the church. And we, we kind of juxtaposed that to come be the church last week. And we talked about the fact that it re- there really needs to be both aspects of that in the way we see things. We need to go be the church so people can come be the church. Amen? Today we're we're going to talk about taking an honest look inside. And that really has a a dual meaning. Uh, It's about taking an honest look inside our church. It's also about taking an honest look inside ourselves. When we talk about go be the church, we need to take an honest look inside. Because often we're unaware of the very things that may be standing in the way of God using us as the church to go out there and be the church. God's grace flows directly to and through us to impact the lives of people He wants us to reach for Jesus Christ. And in order for God to use us effectively, we have to have the right attitude and the right heart toward those He is calling us to. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, as as Dean has shared for us in this passage this morning, He opened her eyes and helped her discover what was inside. Today's message is going to unpack this encounter with a series of main questions designed to help us discover what is in our hearts. So, am I, are we, ready to go be the church? So the questions we need to ask ourselves specifically First of all is this, do I or do we embrace all? Do I or do we embrace all? The first uh, part of verse 4 says this. There's an introduction in the first three verses. You know, they thought Jesus was baptized. It was a problem that the religious leaders were putting some heat on and so he decided to make a move. That's what's going on here. And it says, now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Well, the pastor's contradicting Scripture. No, he didn't. There were other ways to get from Judea to Galilee. In fact, many times, good Jews would cross the Jordan and go up the east side to avoid going through Samaria. It took them longer, but they didn't want to get soiled by passing through Samaria. For them, it was like the bad part of town and it was to be avoided. That's kind of how they viewed Samaria. But yes, he did have to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria because he was on a mission. 
There was someone he needed to talk to. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 19, I tell you the truth, the Son could do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus saw God doing something in Samaria, so he had to go. So, in verse 5, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had been sent into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, and it doesn't say this, but likewise. Worked both ways. By the way, Dean, uh, I asked him not to read the whole passage today. Sometimes that's a neat pastor trick, that if you've got a really short sermon, you have a really long passage of Scripture read. So, the fact that I was willing to shorten it today tells you that... So as she arrives at the well, Jesus does two surprising things. First of all, he speaks to her. Second of all, he asks her for a favor, if she would give him a drink. Now in speaking to this woman, Jesus shattered some long-standing barriers. He spoke to a woman, something no law-observing, self-respecting Jew would do in public, and... He spoke to a Samaritan woman, a member of a minority group regarded as half-breed heretics by the Jews. And we won't go into the history of that today. I've shared that with you before. Beyond that, he asked her for a favor. No Jew would do a favor for a Samaritan, and it would be expected that no Samaritan would do a favor for a Jew. And finally, Jesus risked in this encounter becoming ceremonially unclean. For Samaritans were viewed as unclean by Jews. So to touch a Samaritan or touch anything a Samaritan had touched would make that Jew ceremonially unclean. But none of that mattered to Jesus. Yes. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Don't you love how Jesus responds? He zeroed in on the woman's deepest need right away. If you knew, if you only knew the gift of God, and who it is that you are speaking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. If only you knew. The gift of God. What's the Bible say about the gift of God? Well, in 2 Corinthians 9.15 it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The Apostle Paul is talking about Jesus. 
One we should be familiar with, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave, as a gift, his own one and only Son. See, Jesus is that gift. And Jesus is saying to her, the gift is speaking to you right now. The gift of God is right in front of you. So here's the question from this first passage. Jesus has encountered this woman. There's all sorts of good reasons in the Jewish mind not to have anything to do with her. So here's the question. Do I embrace all people regardless of race, economic status, social status, and background? See, if those things had mattered to Jesus, he would never have talked to that woman. He would never have engaged her. Do I embrace all people regardless of race, economic status, social status, and background? Would any of, that's the main question. Here's some others added to that. Would any of those descriptors disqualify people from the life Jesus came to offer? Would race, economic status, social status, and background disqualify anyone from the life Jesus has come to offer? No. So what are we willing to risk because that's what Jesus did. What are we willing to risk to embrace people no matter who they are? Do we, do I, meet people? That's the next point. Do we, do I, meet people? Sir, the woman said, have you nothing to draw water with? And the well is deep. Excuse me, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Somebody was missing the point right here. She didn't get where Jesus was going with this. She was thinking on a purely physical, I'm thirsty I need a drink of water level. And we know water is essential for life. And she had to come out here every day to draw it. It was just a physical need that had to be met. She certainly understood that everyone who drank from the well would have to come back and draw water again. She got that. But... Listen, if you've got a solution to that problem, I'm willing to listen. Now, she's, again, she's still thinking this. But if there's a way I can, that I don't have to come out here every day to do this, hey, if you've got a plan, I'm willing to listen. So Jesus met this woman right where she was at. I mean, she was... To come to get a drink, and Jesus engaged her over conversation. It started with, can you give me a drink? And then he took it to a different place, didn't he? But he met her right where she was at. You know, according to people who write about such things, right where many are at in our culture is farther from a saving faith in Jesus than ever before. Did you catch what I'm saying there? 
Right where people, where many are at in our culture is farther from a saving faith in Jesus than ever before. Uh, the board went through a book called uh, Rise of the Nuns. I had the board members read this. It's not Catholic nun. It's N-O-N-E, nun. Okay? Significant of, um, there are a lot of people in our culture today who um, do not um, connect with any kind of religion. They're not Muslim. Uh, they're not Buddhist, they're not Protestant, they're not Catholic, they're nothing. I am a nun. I, I connect with none of those things. Alright? So that's what this book was about. In that book, there's a scale from 1 to 10. 1 is no relationship with Jesus. 10 is saving faith in Jesus. Okay? Picture that in your mind. 1, no relationship with Jesus. 10, Saving faith in Jesus. Now, in years past, you know, 40, 50 years ago, maybe maybe farther than that, maybe not that many, most people who didn't know Christ were still at a 6, 7, maybe an 8 on that scale. They thought the church had an important place in the community. They might not go to the church, but they thought it was a good thing. They knew something about the Bible. They believed that there is a God and that Jesus is His Son. They had a familiarity even with church music. They may not have been believers, but they were farther along on that scale. White says, the the author of this book, James Emery White, says that now nuns are one, two, or three on the scale. They don't think about God and many times don't even believe there is one. They don't think about eternity, about issues like life after death. They might believe there's a heaven, but they don't believe there's a hell. Because we all know that everyone, when they die, goes to a better place, right? I mean, how often have I heard that? I think I've told you before, I used to do funerals for the, for the uh, funeral home in our town. I told the, 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 the people there, call me. If you have a family that doesn't have a church or a pastor and needs to do a funeral, call me. Man, you know, I would hear these family members and friends get up and describe the life of this person. as like, eh. And then they always, or very often, had something like this to say. But I know they're in a better place. So a lot of people believe in a heaven, a better place. We don't believe in hell anymore. They might. Uh, church is not a part of the church is not a part of their lives, and as far as they're concerned, it's irrelevant. No need. Why go to church? But here's one thing we can key in on. Many people are tired of drawing water from a well that does not satisfy. Know what I'm saying? A lot of people are tired of drawing from a well, drawing water from a well that does not satisfy. So Jesus asked for a drink. Common ground that that woman could relate to. In this country, it was the heat of the day, it was the sixth hour. It's only natural that someone might ask for a drink. He started right where she was at. 
That's why it's important to get involved in activities that aren't necessarily church-related sometimes. Dean was talking this morning in Sunday school about being a part of a wood-carving group. I don't think he went there because it said Christian wood-carving group. I think he went there because he would be with a group of people who had a common interest, even if there were people there who didn't know Jesus. That's a good thing. That's why it's important to get involved in activities that aren't necessarily church-related. If we can't build common ground based on religion or church or Jesus, then we need to find ways that we can connect with people. Look for common ground, common interests. I remember being in a seminar uh, uh, years ago and the speaker was talking about finding ways to engage newcomers in the church in conversation. You know, because sometimes we don't know what to say to people. So he gave us this acrostic, and I'm not necessarily a Ford man, but that was the, the acrostic, F-O-R-D, Ford. And, it, and the acrostic stands for this, F, family, O, occupation, R, recreation slash hobbies, D, dreams. See, these are not only conversation starters, they are good, a good way to find common ground on, to, on which to build a relationship and earn the right then to share Jesus with somebody. So here's the question. Will I meet people right where they are in life Will I meet people right where they are in life, taking the message of Christ's love and goodness beyond the walls of the church? The well wasn't in a church. Will I, do I, or will we, do we, help others? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Here comes the help part. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. She must have been thinking, yes. Indeed, the water I give them will, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That, that might have thrown her a little bit. You know, some people want help with a lot of things. Some people never want help or don't think they need help. But whatever their attitude, we need to remember that everyone needs help with one thing. They need help with the sin problem. They need help finding purpose in life beyond this life. They need help finding Jesus. We need to remember, we need to be aware of that fact. Everybody needs help in at least that area. And that can create an urgency in us to help in any way we can. For it is often in helping meeting the needs of the body and mind that doors are open to meet the needs of the Spirit. So here's the main question. 
How can I help others see that Jesus is the true source of life, both now and eternally? And this next point is at least a partial answer to that question. How can I help others see that Jesus is the true source of life, both now and eternally? This next point. Do I, do we, extend grace? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Ooh. I wonder why he asked me that. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She was a bad girl. Jesus could have had... Jesus could have said, wow, you are really messed up. Adulteress, prostitute, slut, right? Could have done that. But you have to know what Jesus knew. There was pain in that woman's life. She was hurting. Who wouldn't be after that many failed relationships? Jesus didn't beat her up. She'd been beat up enough already. Why do you think she was coming to the well in the middle of the day? And I think I've talked about this before. Listen, the women of the community all were the water bearers. They're the ones who came to the well to get water for household use and drinking, etc., etc. And they tended to come in the morning when it was cool or later in the afternoon or evening when it was cooling down again. And it was kind of the gathering place. And the women got together and talked around the well and then went back home with the water that they'd, they'd gotten from the well. But she came at noon. She came when there wouldn't be any other women there. We can probably guess why. Jesus extended grace to her. Let's be honest about it. There are some people who, when they learn you're a Christian, put up walls. They shut down or they seek to keep you at arm's length. One of the reasons they do that is because they've experienced in their interactions with Christians in the past, what they've experienced has left them feeling condemned, judged, and unacceptable. You're bad. And because there was no mercy and grace in those encounters, they find out you're a Christian. It's like, oh, I don't want to get close to you. Remember last week I mentioned the fact that we should seek the prosperity of our community? But sometimes because Christians have taken such a vociferous and antagonistic view on moral and ethical issues, We've told the truth without grace. We are seen 
more as adversarial than beneficial to our community? Now, I threw in the little caveat. We do. We do need to speak the truth. We need to do it with love and grace. We do need to take a stand on things. But folks, how we do that makes a huge difference on a huge difference on how it's received. And so if that had been the experience uh, or perception of people were trying to impact for Jesus, then we have some work to do. And a great, uh, a great part of that work is extending grace to those individuals who've got a wrong view of Christians because of the way they've, the interactions they've experienced in the past. Now, I'm not saying it's always easy to do. Julie and I, you know, I get on the internet sometimes and it's like, what? I get, where are we going? I mean, you just, Facebook is the worst. And I don't have a Facebook account, but I look at my wife's once in a while. And people get on there and they, with their diatribes, and oh, I'm going to jump in with both feet so bad sometimes. But I don't. The problem is, and some of them are people in my own family, when I hear that that's their point of view, I don't even want to be around them. That's not good. And there are a lot of people out there who aren't in my family who share those points of view that I struggle with so much. And my tendency would be not to want to be around them, but... That's not Jesus' tendency. Right? It's tough. It's tough. You know, I'd like to remain in my own little cocoon with people who agree with me on this stuff. (laughs) It's tough. And you don't always want to be gracious in your response. My way of being gracious is not to say anything at all. At least on those, I don't do, I read Facebook sometimes, I don't, that's as involved as I get. So we have a hard time extending grace sometimes. Again, it's not easy to do. People engage in behaviors or lifestyles that are damaging to others, self-destructive or just plain selfish. And sometimes we find that some of those things just plain repulsive. Let's be honest about it. But Jesus loves all those folks. One church decided to make it as clear as possible that that all were welcome and would be extended grace. Let me read what they had in their bulletin every week. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, filthy rich, dirt poor, no habla ingles. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or still addicted. 
We welcome you if you're having problems or down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion. We welcome you if you blew all your offering money partying last night. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down their throat as a kid, or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. (laughs) We welcome seekers and doubters. We welcome you. And there's a lot of other things that could go on that list, right? Some a lot more unsavory than some of the things we listed here. And yet, that's who we should be. And if they're going to come be the church, we've got to go be the church. And there was a resounding amen when the pastor said that. Listen, we must not forget how much grace God has shown us. You know what? God found our sin, He found my sin, my behavior, my lifestyle so repulsive that He sent Jesus to die for me. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. <laughs> so here's the final question today. Do I extend grace and mercy to people regardless of their lifestyles. Do I extend grace and mercy to people regardless of their lifestyles? Father, We need to be like Jesus. We need to be willing to embrace people. We need to be willing to meet people. We need to be willing to listen, to help, and to extend grace. Just like you did with this woman at the will who thought when she came that day that her greatest need was a drink of water from Jacob's well. When actually what she needed most was a drink of water from the one who himself was the water of life.
Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us for holding some people at arm's length. Forgive us for thinking that somebody's sin is worse than the sin you've forgiven us of. Forgive us when we think that what they need most is for us to get in their face. Forgive us for avoiding them, writing them off. Saying that when life gets tough for them, well, that's just what they deserve. Look at the way they've been living. The thing about saying that is that it's true for all of us. Look what we deserved. Well, if it weren't for Jesus... So, Father, um, as your Holy Spirit runs these things through our minds again, as we ask ourselves, what heart, what attitude, what heart and what attitude are in me, and what things need to change so that I, we, can go be the church May we listen to you. May we obey you. May we repent. If the attitudes of our hearts are not the attitude of Jesus toward the lost, whoever they might be, whatever their race, economic status, legal status, lifestyle. Because Jesus, the word tells us that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. May that be our heart too. And Father, I ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for being here today. Part one. That was part one. You get more next week. All right. God bless you as you go. Have a blessed day.